0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn. My name is Bryant, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us, joining us today. If it's your first time, we especially want to welcome you, um, and we hope to get to see you sometime soon. But in the meantime, if you can text CONNECT to the number that I was given before, it's a way for us to be able to reach out to you, let us know who we are, what we're doing as a community, and hopefully to be able to invite you in. We're currently in a sermon series called Missio Dei which is Mission of God. It's a conversation about we as a church and as a community engaging in the work that God is doing. A lot of times we think that the work of the church or the work of God is deferred to leaders, pastors, and those who have been part of a church for a long time. But in reality, when we're in a relationship with God, there is a thing that comes out of us, a overwhelming desire to partner with Him, to work with Him, to believe and to have faith and what God is doing. And so today I have the opportunity to talk to you about what it means to go. Um, last week, Russell talked about this uh, kingdom prayer and what it looked like to be attentive, combative, and to be restorative. Um, but today we kinda wanna dig into the action of going and being the church, the hands and feet for our community and to those around us. And this poses two questions. and something that I always ask myself. What is the mission, right? Before we can go, before we journey into something, before we're sent out, we need to know what the mission is. We need to know what the vision is behind what we're called to. And the second thing is, where does this call to go come from? Because to be honest, it's very easy to just be contemplative, to be very inner self-focused, to kind of allow this um, faith to just be personalized, individualized, and we just something that we just take care of our own. But there is a call to go. And I know for a lot of us, that might be very challenging. The idea to even leave our comforts is a thing that we could talk about today. But this call to go doesn't come from a place where it is an obligation, where it's not a, it doesn't come from a place of guilt or self-righteousness. It's not a thing that we use to credit our morality, to gain more righteous deeds. But this call to go comes first from our call to be with Jesus, to be in relationship with Him, to walk with Him, to say that He is a part of our lives and that we allow Him to be in the depths of our being. And this call to go first comes of Jesus, but secondly, as we look at look at the life of Jesus, we see his mission to go, right? As he came to earth, he lived out a mission for us. He lived out a mission to redeem us, to give us grace, to make us whole again. Um, and so this mission can be found in Matthew 28, 19. And this mission is given to his disciples and his followers. And Jesus says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He is commissioning them, uh, giving them authority to live out and continue the work that he was doing here on earth. And so this poses a very tough question because how can we be challenged to go when right now the most loving thing we can do in this season as a church is to stay? It's tough because if you ask me four months ago, what is the mission of the church to go? I could give you a whole list of things of how to love our neighbors, be there for our neighbors, of how we can engage in our community, physically be in a place and a space to be a help and aid and to share the message of Jesus. But right now we're in a very unique situation where we're called to stay, right? And so there's been a lot of conversations around churches. Do we gather? Do we not gather? How far do we go to serve our community? And so there's this tension that we get to live in right now when we're called to go, but we're also called to stay. And so I just want to make a correction in that passage, or not maybe a correction, but just an observation from Matthew 28, 19. A lot of times we think when we see the call to go, we immediately think of a physical place, right, A, a, a job that we need to accomplish. And if you've been part of a church, maybe this call to go has been going to another country, going to another city and serving the least of them, the most vulnerable. And I've definitely been in a place where I got to participate in those mission trips. Um, You know, and we also assume that this place to go is a physical location, right? That we need to have a place in mind. But I want to challenge us that that's actually a conversation and quite possibly a place of privilege. A lot of people in the world who are Christians and who believe in Jesus and have this faith to be called on mission don't have the opportunity to go. It, po- it poses the reality that we're, uh, the assumption that we have finances to go. We have the, the freedom to travel and to have privileges to be at another location to do the work of Jesus. But what about those individuals who are Christians who believe in the faith, hold to Jesus, but yet their family doesn't? And if they were ever to confess their faith in Jesus, they will be abandoned. They will be persecuted. So this idea when Jesus says, therefore go, doesn't necessarily mean find a location, go travel there, share the gospel and come back. But this going is a journey. It's as we are going, we live out the mission of Jesus. And so the act of go doesn't necessarily pose a grand gesture, right? And a lot of times we have the unique uh, ability to turn this go into an event, right? To go somewhere for a short period of time and then to be on rest and retire the mission of Jesus. But it's as we're going, And so during the season, I want to ask us some questions. Where are we going, right, if we're home? And to pose this thought as we are going. And it means that we need to be A, attentive to the season that we're in. We need to be aware of the season that we're in right now, which is we're in a pandemic. We can't, you know, we're asked not to leave our homes unless for essential purposes. We're asked to not engage in large gatherings. So yes, we need to be aware of the pandemic season that we're in. And I don't want us to miss this season. Don't get me wrong. I am not praying for the season to go any longer than it has. I'm not praying and hoping that this pandemic will cause much more grief and loss. What I'm challenging today for us as a church and those people who are called by God to go is to not just miss the season that we're in, but to ask how can God work in this season in all of us? How can we be challenged to be on mission for Him in the midst of a pandemic? in the midst of a crisis and not waiting for our circumstances or our conditions to be better or to be more secure and comfortable, but how even as we're living through this, we can be on mission for God. And so I want us to remind ourselves not to rush out of this season. I know we're all eager to see the light at the end of this. We're eager to see this pandemic over, but even in the midst of this, God is working and how can he work? And that is us being called to mission. And so on this idea of Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and as you're going, make disciples. We see this missional call in Peter and John in Acts chapter three. And here in this passage, it says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped on his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is a very interesting passage because we can see that in Acts 3, Peter and John were not trying to go somewhere extraordinary. They were continuing their fulfillment of going to the temple. They were continuing to do their daily routine, the ritual of going to the temple for a time of prayer. And as they were going, they came across a man. See, a lot of times we figure that to be a mission for Jesus, we need to have an assignment at hand. We need to be ready and focused, have a focus group saying, okay, these people in that community, we're going. And for them, we're gonna serve them in this way, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the unique thing is as Peter and John were going to the temple, they were just going on their daily routine, nothing extraordinary. And I remember when I first became saved in high school, a group of my friends and I, we had this passion that others had to know Jesus the way that we encountered him. And so we're a bunch of teenagers, juniors in high school, And uh, we had one friend who was a senior who drove. So we got in his car and then we would drive to random locations in New York city. We would go to Queens center mall. We'll go to the parks. We'll go anywhere we could that where we knew that people would gather. And once we arrived there, we had a mission. We had a focus group. We had a target. We We would go and evangelize, right? And by evangelize, we would just go to random strangers and talk to them about Jesus. We even came up with quirky lines to start conversations. We'll be looking at the mall directory and asking people, hey, do you know um, how to get to heaven? And so it was cheesy Christian one-liners. And so we we used to do that quite frequently. Every week we'll go out to the malls, to the parks, to, to places to eat, and we'll just frequent people and just ask them if they know Jesus. But in the midst of this, it's unique because Peter and John weren't doing that. They weren't saying, hey, let's go to the temples, let's go to the markets, let's go to these places and start evangelizing, start talking about Jesus, be on mission for Jesus, start preaching about Jesus. Once again, there's nothing wrong about that. But the unique thing here is that Peter and John were just going through the daily life. And as they were going through the daily life, they came across a man who was crippled. He was lame. And in that moment, it's interesting because they were able to offer something that nobody else could offer. Peter blatantly says, silver or gold, I do not have. He says, I don't have money. It's not unique that these apostles didn't, they weren't wealthy. They weren't rich. They were wanderers. At this point in their life, they were apostles. Their mission was to just share about Jesus where they can and everywhere they went. And so he tells this beggar, silver and gold, I do not have. And a lot of times in our culture and our society right now and where we are in our position, we figure we think people need food, true. We think people need finances, true. They need aid, they need jobs, all are true. But isn't it, isn't it noticeable that there are a lot of, a lot of organizations and relief efforts doing those things. They're offering counseling and it's been amazing to see this happening in New York City in the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of all the struggle and pain and suffering, that somehow the city is coming together and the communities are coming together to serve one another, to love one another, to offer food to those who don't have something to eat, to offer jobs and, and to offer finances to organizations that continue the work. And so it's been amazing to see churches partner in these efforts to provide counseling and comfort to provide all these things that the city needs at this moment. But it's important to recognize that if we're on a mission for God, there is something unique that he offers. And here you notice that Peter and John says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And what he gave this man wasn't simply a miraculous healing because this person never knew what it meant to walk. He was lame from birth. His friends would carry him to the temple, put him there, allow him to beg. He never knew what it meant to use his legs, but through a miraculous power, Peter healed him. He was able to walk. And it wasn't just simply the act of healing that was so important. That's a physical need, it's necessary, it's needed, it's a sign that people were amazed about. But what Peter offered him was a new life. What Peter offered him, what he, Peter gave him was this, this mighty hope and peace that cannot be found anywhere else. It's a peace that can dismantle the anxieties of this world. It's a hope in God that all things will be restored and renewed, that things can be reconciled, that things can, that good can come out of something broken and damaged. See, other organizations can offer relief, money, food, counseling, and support. And it's been a great opportunity for the churches to partner in those efforts, but the church, if we're living with the power of Jesus, the way that Peter and John were, we get to offer something even mightier. We get to offer something that's even more incredible than finances. See the lame individual, this person, this beggar, thought all he needed was money to get through the day. But Peter and John was able to deliver him something that he thought was impossible. He was able to deliver something that he thought was just unimaginable. Peter and John had nothing. It's not like they had gold and silver, it was like, hey, I know something I have better, but they had nothing. And they said, This is something I can give you. And isn't that how a lot of us feel today? There are a lot of times where I sit around wondering, what can I offer? What can I offer to the friend who lost a loved one? What can I offer to someone who is way past their bills? They don't know if they can pay the next month's rent. What, what what can I offer to the families that don't know if they can feed their children today? I can offer a little bit of what I have, a lot of what I have, but at the end of the day, I cannot fix all the solutions. And it's becoming more and more overwhelming day by day, the requests and demands that people need. But in that moment, Peter and John had nothing, but they had the authority of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, that's the commission that Jesus gives them. You have my power. You have my authority to give and provide something that is supernatural. That is something more than what can satisfy our physical personal needs in that current moment, but something that is greater, a sign of hope, a sign of miracle, a sign of relief, a sign of restoration. See, as Peter and John were just journeying through, as they were going through their life, their hearts became attentive to this man that was begging. It's not that nobody else saw him, right? Every day his friends brought him to the temple courts begging. But when we come in relationship with Jesus, he begins to open up our eyes and our hearts to be aware, to be more attentive to these people around us. And see, in the mission, when Jesus sends his disciples out, he doesn't just send them out and say, go and do good deeds. But he actually tells them to wait. In the, following cha- in the previous chapters in Acts, he tells his followers to wait. Wait for something supernatural to happen. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come and to encounter them to give them this supernatural gifting and this awareness and prompting. Because I'm gonna be honest, I've been in situations where I've been in a hospital that was in Tanzania that was strictly for terminal ill cancer patients. And I remember praying for them. As a, when I was 20 years old, I remember praying for them and not knowing what I can do. And I remember praying in that moment of so much doubt and fear. Saying, God, I really want you to heal. I want you to perform miracles here, but I don't know. I don't know if it will happen. And I read this passage and I say, how was Peter so positive? Because I have this fear. If I, if I tell a lame person, get up and walk, and that person doesn't, did I fail? Did I not follow Jesus in the way that he, he, like, he expected of me? But see, G- Peter and John, they weren't just going around taking random guesses during prayers. They weren't just praying and hoping, Jesus, I'm going to look like a fool if you don't show up. I have a reputation on the line. But Peter and John were prompted by something else. They had this assurance. There was no hesitation in the prayers that Peter prayed here. He didn't say, God, if it's your will, maybe if it's not, I don't know. It's up to you, you do your thing. But Peter knew that healing would happen in that moment. And it happened because they were so in tune with their relationship with Jesus. They were so in tune with the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so I know a lot of times we're eager to go like that teenage me. When I first got saved, I was like, everyone needs to know. Right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Continue that zeal, continue that passion. But there's also this moment where Jesus asks us to wait. Because he knows he, wants to, he doesn't want to send us out without the tools necessary. He doesn't want to send us out on our own and just fighting for our own lives and just failing over and over and over again. No, failure will happen. But at the same time, Jesus is going to send us with the right tools to build what he has asked us to build. He's going to give us the right people to go on mission together. So what is the unique thing that we can offer as Christians? What is the unique thing that Christians can offer in this time of need and it's hope and peace, but not just a hope and peace that is solidified in our economics, that is solidified in our comfort and our circumstances, but it's a hope and peace that surpasses all understanding. And I know there's a lot of fear, doubts, and worries. And that actually takes me back to one of my favorite books and movies, The Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene in the opening scene in the opening chapters of the book where the, uh, Sam and Frodo, they're nobodies. They're just peaceful hobbits. And in time, they're asked to go on this great mission that there's this ring of power that they must destroy because it can be used for evil. And for them, they lived in this quiet home. They lived in a place of peace, no quarrels, no worries. And then they're asked to leave a home that they never left. Sam says, If I take one more step, it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been. And Frodo replies, it's a dangerous business. Going out your door, you step into the road and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. And that's a fear that we all have. What if we go and we fail? What if we go and it costs us something? What if we go and decide to be on mission of Jesus? And it takes away our comfort. That there are risks involved. Like in in any journey, there might be a price to pay. But here's the thing. If we are in the mission of going with Jesus and the mission of God, this Missio Dei, Jesus goes with us. Jesus empowers us. And Jesus will protect us. And that doesn't necessarily come in the form of prosperity and wealth but it's this knowing of this assurance that Jesus is comforting us, that He is watching over us, that He has gone before us. See, when Christianity isn't just a religion, when Christianity isn't just about an institution, when Christianity isn't just a philosophy or a thing that we reflect and meditate on, there is power. And that's the one truth that we hold on to. that if we are working with Jesus and Christianity is the real thing for us, if faith is the real thing for us, We get to believe in a God, in in a Jesus that resurrected. And because he resurrected, there's power for us. And in Deuteronomy 31.8, this is the point, if you guys know the story, um, Moses is leading his people, right? He's led them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're wandering the desert. And this is actually a very depressing scene because Moses has now learned that he is not going to lead them into the promised land. See, God made a promise to Moses, you will lead the people to a place that is your own home. You will no longer be aliens. You will no longer be wanderers. You'll be led into the promised land. But God actually reveals to him towards the end of his life. He says, it's actually not gonna be you. It's gonna be somebody else that's gonna lead them through, Joshua. And I'm gonna be honest, if I'm Moses, I am livid at this point. I'll be upset, I'll be angry, I'll be throwing a tantrum, I'll be bitter. I'll be hoping the worst for them. I've got, he's gone through so much suffering. And at the end, he doesn't get to see the wonderful glory and the promise that is made to him. He actually doesn't get to see the end of the pandemic. He doesn't get to see the end of the crisis. He doesn't make it. But his successor, Joshua, does. But to Joshua, he also knows that this land is occupied by invaders, by people who will be threatening them attacking them, exploiting them. And then God gives Joshua and Moses this reassurance. He says that I'll be with you. And in Deuteronomy 31.8 says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. See, during this time, it's easy to be afraid. It's easy to be paralyzed, not to do anything. It's easy to say, you know what? I'll start going on mission with Jesus once this pandemic is over. Once I'm more comfortable, once I can find a way to serve and not be at risk. And I do want to say, I am not imposing the challenge to go out and to put yourself in harm's way or to risk the lives of others. But I think this is a unique time for the church to be creative in the way that we go in the way that we serve, in the way that we love. See, in the beginning, we had to deal with that tension and we're still asking that tension. How can we be called to go when we're called to stay? When we're being asked to stay and that's the most loving thing we can do. See, in this time of going, it might look like this. It might be mourning with the people that have lost loved ones. It might be mourning with the people who have have family members who are sick and they can't be with them. And I think one of the most heartbreaking stories for me that I've been hearing from healthcare workers and people on the front lines is that they're, they're seeing victims die from this virus. And yet their family members can't hold them, can't hug them, can't be with them. I just can't imagine the amount of fear on both ends. But this season might be a time when we're, as we're called to go, we just we mourn with people. We comfort them in prayer comfort them with what we have. Maybe we don't have that silver or gold. Maybe we don't have all the training as a counselor, but we can be available. We can sit with them through phone calls. We can sit with them in silence on prayers. It can also look like giving up and sacrificing some of the things that we have. It could look like we're sharing possessions, what the early church did. Things that we've been maybe comforted with, things that we had the privilege to be able to hold on to that others may not have, to share in this time of need. Maybe during this season, it's just a simple encouragement. And that's how we go. We invite people into the story of Jesus. We encourage them with hope, with messages of love. And also to go might just be able to celebrate. I know it's been hard. I feel bad and I'm sorry for your birthday was in the past few months that you had to celebrate in quarantine. And I've seen some amazing things online of people celebrating their birthdays in quarantine, but maybe it's a time that we get to celebrate a little bit and not feel guilty. I know it's a very, it seems like a very dark time and there's this undertone that goes through all of this, but it's okay. Rejoice, have moments of joy with one another, share life, and just be available for God's prompting us. I know we can't be like Peter and John just walking around entering into places and praying for others and being in large gatherings, but be attentive to where we are and what season we're in and what we have available and to go might just be, to be available to him, to others and just to be listening to God in prayer. Just like Peter and John, they knew, they knew that this man was going to be healed because they knew that God intended that to happen. So today, I just ask if we can just take a moment to pray, just where you are, and I'll say a prayer for us too, of letting our hearts be attentive and to be aware of who God is and what He's doing, of how we can go and be the hands and feet for the church, whether it's through online, whether it's through a phone call, whether it's through notes or letters, we're going to be having a bunch of people in our community sharing how they've been living on mission with God. And so today, let me just take a moment to pray with us. Heavenly Father, open our eyes and our hearts. I know it's so challenging right now to find a place to go and to physically offer our hands. I know there are many people that we would love to hug and just to be there to comfort. But God, whatever season we're in, whatever unique circumstances that we're we're resting in right now or whatever we're struggling in, God, let us not wait to go. As we are going, as we're living life, as we're doing this life in the midst of this crisis and pandemic, teach us and show us what it means to love others, to offer hope, to offer peace, the way that you offered hope and peace through your son, Jesus. God, meet our needs, our impossible needs, our unimaginable needs. And let us go with your power and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And as a church, um, I know we haven't been gathering on Sundays, but if you've been part of our Sunday gatherings back at the school, uh, we take something called communion. And we we used to do it every week, but I know it's been a little bit out of rhythm. Um, And during this time of communion, it's a way that we remember and we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. It's a way that we reflect on what was, a sacrifice for us and for us to say, hey, we want to partake in that and to remember that, that sacrifice. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus or if you, know, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, um, it's okay not to partake in this part. I just ask that you just ask God to reveal himself in your heart today. But if you want to partake with us, uh, whatever elements you have, I know cheese has been a very common communion element um, or one of your homemade breads, just take a piece of that bread or a cracker or whatever you have and a cup. Um, and we're going to be taking our time of communion together. And this is a time of remembrance. This is a time to say, Jesus, we, we want to we stay close to your heart because our hearts are very prone to wander. And this is a time to say, Jesus, remember, we remember the sacrifice that you made for us so that we have the power to go. His sacrifice was not in vain. His body was not in vain. And just as Peter and John did not have silver or gold to offer, but they offered him something even better, a new life, the ability to walk, to praise, to dance, God said, this is what you need. Something far greater than silver or gold. It's a hope that is everlasting. It's a promise that I'll be there for you and to empower you. And so the body, this bread represents the body that was broken for us. And Jesus, and so we can take that, and then the cup represents the blood that was shed for us, in behalf of Jesus. We thank you for being part of our service today. I know it's an online experience; it might still be new to some of us, and we hope to see you someday soon. And as we kind of go into a time of just response and worshiping in our hearts, I pray that God will continue to empower you to overcome your fears, your worries, and doubts. And let us continue to be a church that is on mission to go. We love you. Have a great week.